You are listening to the Faith Church Podcast. Learn more about our church at faithinchandler.com. Prison escapes are fascinating. I don't care who you are, they're just interesting. Most uh, of, the, of the movies that, uh, that are kind of uh, thrillers, uh, box office, they have some, uh, some element of a prison escape, a break-in, a break-out in them. When you think about uh, movies that center around escape, like The Fugitive and Cool Hand Luke and Shawshank and Alcatraz, uh, there's something exciting about a prison break. I think the, the strangest prison break that I have read about was one in France in the late 80s. Uh, this man, I'm going to mess up his last name, but his name is Michael Vahur. He was in prison for a long period of time because of armed robbery, and his wife wanted to break him free. Her name was Nadine. So she started taking helicopter pilot lessons. And after she had learned how to fly the helicopter, she showed up there to get her lesson and took the helicopter, ran off with it. And she had worked it out with Michael, her husband, the time, the day, for him to be on the roof. Now, how does the prisoner get on top of the roof so his wife can pick him up with a helicopter? What Michael did is he took tangerines that were handed out in the lunchroom, and he painted them in his art class to look like hand grenades. And he threatened the guards, saying that he had smuggled in hand grenades and he would blow everyone up if they didn't get out of his way. And using tangerines, he got to the roof and waited for his wife to pick him up with a helicopter. Now, as incredible as all of these escapes are, they all end up the same way. A few months later, they're picked up at a grocery store or at their mom's house, because they're able to break free, but they've got no place to go. And I want you to realize this morning that Christ is the one who can rescue us, that he can free us, free us from captivity, and when we run to him, he's, he's got a place for us to go. Two weeks I talked to you about the fact that when we run towards Jesus, he'll free us. If you run towards Jesus, He will free you. That He is the only one who has that ability, that capability to free you from your sin, from your shame, from your past, to give you new life and eternal life. Last week I talked to you about the fact that if you run toward Jesus with others, you'll go far. That if you get into a group of people that is following after Christ, is holding one another accountable, encouraging one another. If you run towards Jesus with others, you'll go far. And today, I just want to give you a couple of the benefits that come from breaking free and running towards Jesus with others. A couple of the products that, that come about because of this growth we experience with Christ. And we're going to look at the story of a prison break in Scripture where we see a couple of these benefits on display. The book of Acts is a record of the acts of the apostles or disciples after Jesus rose from the dead and ascended into heaven. So people like Peter, who had been called to leave fishing behind and walk with Jesus, spent three years with him, 
After Jesus ascends into heaven, they go out and start churches. They do these incredible things that turn the world upside down. They work together in groups or in pairs, and God uses them to do amazing things. And what we see in Acts 16 is the record of two of those followers of Jesus who are making an incredible difference. We see some attributes in their lives that I think every one of us would want. So in Acts 16, look at with me at verse 19. Verse 19 says, And when her masters saw that the hope of their gains was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace of the rulers and brought them to the magistrates, saying, These men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe, being Romans. And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates ran off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely. What happens here is that Paul and Silas are making their way through Macedonia, and there is this woman who is a slave, and she's enslaved because she has the ability to tell fortunes. She's a fortune-telling slave. She keeps calling out to them every day when they, when they walk by in the marketplace. And Paul gets so perturbed, annoyed by it, he turns around and says to her, Spirit come out of her, and he frees her from the spiritual bondage that she's in. Now, when her slave owners see this, they're upset, because that spirit that had enslaved her was what gave her the ability to tell fortunes, and if she can't tell fortunes, nobody's going to come and pay them money. So they haul Paul and Silas before the judge, and they say, these men are evil. They're teaching customs that we should not be hearing. Really, all they're motivated by is their greed. So the magistrates, they get upset, they rent their clothes. That was the biblical time way of just telling everybody you were upset. They tear their clothes and they say, beat them, and everybody descends on them, beats them, they whip them, lay stripes on them, and then they throw them into prison. And they charge the jailer, don't let them get away. Keep, keep an eye on them. So, not a great day for Paul and Silas. Pick up reading with me, verse 24. The jailer, who having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison. It's the prison inside the prison. Charging the jailer to keep them safe, he thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. Maybe you've, uh, you've been somewhere, you've been to like an historical site, and they've got a, they've got a set of the stocks out front. It's a place where you can put your head and your arms through and get your picture taken, you know. The jailer takes them to the inner prison and puts their feet in the stocks so they're going nowhere. Been a tough day. Been a tough day. Verse 25 says, And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep, and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself. 
supposing that the prisoners had been fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light and sprang in, and came trembling and fell before Paul and Silas, and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. Paul and Silas are thrown into the inner prison. Their feet are put in the stocks. And come midnight, they have a prayer meeting. And after their prayer meeting, they start singing. Now, I don't know how much you know about prison. Some of you know a little bit about prison. This is not what you do your first night in prison. Sing, and sing loud enough for everybody to hear you sing. Some of you won't even sing loud in church. These guys are singing loud in prison, loud enough for the other prisoners to hear them, and at midnight. I don't know that my singing would be welcome at any time of day, but at midnight, they're singing. What's going on here? What's going on here is that Paul and Silas had experienced one of the benefits of growing close to the Lord and one another. They had broken free from their sin, their past, their shame, their judgment, their condemnation, experienced the grace and love of the Lord in their lives, worked hard along with other disciples, other people serving Jesus and trying to proclaim the message, and what they had experienced is a benefit that's available to every Christian if they grow close to the Lord. As they grow close to the Lord, you experience peace in the midst of adversity. Peace in adversity is a product of spiritual growth. These guys had been beaten, falsely accused, whipped, and thrown into the inner prison and had their feet put in the stocks, and they sing praises to God because in the midst of that horrible day, at the end of that awful night, they have peace. We read there that Paul and Silas are freed Later on, Paul and Silas would go and they would serve in other places. And Paul would later write a letter back to the people in the city of Philippi, which was in the region of Macedonia. He's in the Philippian jail, the city of Philippi's jail. When all of this happens, he writes a letter back to the Philippians. And he says these words in the fourth chapter of his letter to the Philippians. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. He would go on to say, not that I speak of in respect of want, for I have learned... And whatsoever state I am in, therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. But I can do all things, all these things, through Christ who strengthens me. 
How did Paul and Silas sing in the jail, in the prison, at midnight, after being beaten and whipped and had their feet placed in the like How? Because they made their request known unto God through supplication and prayer, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, came upon them. Paul would write to the Philippians what he had experienced right in the middle of their city, in the middle of their jail, at midnight, after he'd been beaten by their neighbors and friends. This is what he was experiencing. Paul and Silas rejoiced because they were anxious for nothing, but had made the request known to God. Beginning of this year, I was cleaning out some, some stuff, some junk, if you will, cleaning out some old notebooks. I came across a notebook that I had used a few years back. And not the whole notebook, for, but for quite a bit of the notebook, all I had written in the notebook was I had copied Philippians chapter 4. Because I had gone through a season of discouragement and frustration, and I knew that I needed the peace of God in my life. So I just kept writing those words. I have learned whatsoever state I am in, therewith to be content. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make your request made known unto God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. What happens to Paul and Silas is hard to understand. Because the peace of God that they experience surpasses understanding. They were in a trial. They were in a desperate moment, but they had God's peace in that moment. I love that Paul says in chapter 4, verse 11 of Philippians, I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. You know why he said I learned? Because it wasn't natural. It wasn't, he wasn't born like that. Paul didn't just grow up being content no matter his situation. He learned to be content no matter his situation through the experience of the Lord working in his life and growing closer to him with the other disciples and serving. He learned to be content in whatsoever state he found himself in. It wasn't natural. And it's not natural for us to react to adversity with peace, but because of the presence of the Lord, we have that peace. And what Paul lived out, and what he teaches us in Philippians chapter 4 and shows us in Acts 16, is that the greater presence of the Lord we have in our life, the greater peace we can experience no matter what is happening in our life. Welcome the presence of the Lord into your life. The greater His presence is, the greater peace that you can have. And what what is natural, what is normal, is for our peace, our happiness, our joy to be contingent upon what is happening out here in our relationships, at our job, in our bank account, in our circumstances, in the weather. But friend, all of those things change all the time, don't they? But the more of God's presence we have, the more of His peace that we have. And so a product of growing closer to God 
is a peace that passes all understanding. Now, I don't want to be flippant. I don't want to just pretend that Paul and Silas weren't hurting. Because they were hurting. They had been lashed with a whip. They'd been beaten. Their feet were in the stocks. They were hurting. And while they sang at midnight, I don't think they were singing when they were being beaten. So their peace was not an escape from reality. That's not the peace that the, the Lord gives us. The peace that He brings us in the midst of adversity is not detachment from what's happening. It's not denial of what's happening. And I am sure that when Paul and Silas were being beaten, they screamed out in pain. I'm sure that in this moment at midnight when they prayed, they called out to God for help. But after they had called out for help, then they experienced that peace. I'm not telling you tonight that if you have God in your life that everything's going to be smooth sailing. I'm not telling you that if you have God in your life that you're going to be fine with whatever happens. Case sarah, sarah. What will be, will be. No, I'm not telling you that at all. I'm telling you, if you have the presence of the Lord in your life and you bring your needs, your brokenness, to Him, that He will exchange it for His peace. That's what He'll do. It's not natural. It's not automatic. So Paul and Silas are singing in the heart of the prison, and then, plot twist, there's an earthquake. And this was some kind of special earthquake. Because the earthquake shook the foundation of the prison and opened every door and took off every shackle. It didn't bring the prison crashing down on them. It freed them. This is a miraculous disaster. You've heard of natural disasters. This is a miraculous disaster. This is God stepping in and doing something that has no other explanation, but God did it. What other earthquake opens all of the prison doors and knocks all of the shackles off, but doesn't hurt anybody? And I think every one of us, if we're honest, if we can take a moment and look back, we can look back at our life and see some miraculous disasters that God brought about. Sometimes that things shook, but God was using it to open doors and remove shackles. Sometimes that we, the whole reason that we got through it is because of Him. That's what He was doing here for Paul and Silas. This is a pretty special earthquake. But when the guard wakes up, he sees that all the doors have opened. It's the worst case scenario for him. What was it they charged him with? Make sure that they don't escape. Keep them. He puts them in the inner prison. He wakes up and every door is opened. So his reaction is to draw out his sword and he's preparing to fall on his own sword and kill himself. Because that was preferable than to him being blamed for everyone's escape. What's he going to do? Tell everybody, no, it was an earthquake and it opened the doors. Knocked all the shackles off. Like, yeah, right. He would rather fall on his sword, take his own life, then his life be required by the magistrates, which was customary. If you were given charge or responsibility over a prisoner and they escaped, it was on your head. He would all, also he would lose his life, but also his family, his honor would be taken. His reputation would be gone. So he'd rather it look like they killed him and escaped. 
So he's about to fall on his own sword. But Paul stops him, and he says, Do thyself no harm. We are all here. And I want you to think about that for a moment. Paul tells the guard, the only person left that's standing between them and freedom, he says, don't hurt yourself. We're still here. Paul and Silas, after this horrible adversity, not only have incredible peace, but they practice an amazing selflessness. You see, selflessness is also a product of growth. In that same chapter in Philippians, Paul says, My brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and crown stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Did you pick up on that? He calls these people in the city where he was beaten and whipped and thrown in jail, he calls them his brothers who he loves, that he desires. They are his joy, his crown, his beloved. He loves these people. And when he writes this letter years down the road, he's talking about that jailer. Paul loved the people of Macedonia. He loved the people of the city of Philippi. He loved that jailer. He loved those other prisoners. And so he does what he does here because of that love, just as it's the motivating factor in all the other things that he's done. He is selfless because of his love. And selflessness is the overflow of love. When we act selflessly, it's because we are we have so much love. That's, that's what love is, right? Love forgoes convenience or comfort for the benefit of another. That's what love is, right? You do things for your kids that inconvenience you and make you uncomfortable. They come to you in the middle of the night and they, they're scared. And they want to, and you know they're going to sleep on top of your head and they're going to kick you all night, right? Why do you do that? Because you, you love them. And you're too tired to go to the couch, so you're just going to bring them into the bed with you, right? Love forgoes convenience and comfort for the benefit of someone else. And Paul and Silas have their opportunity to walk out of the jail free, and they don't for the benefit of someone else. They not only did not deserve to be in that prison, they could have owned that prison. If this was today, they could have sued the city of Philippi for every red cent that they had. That would have been just. They'd done nothing wrong. Later on, you read the rest of Acts 16, the magistrates get terrified of what they've done because they realize that Paul is a Roman citizen and they have uh, um, put him in prison and beaten him without a trial. They realize they've really messed up. And Paul and Silas had every reason, every right to walk out. God had even made a way for them to walk out, but they didn't because they were being incredibly selfless. They had so much love. And selflessness is a product of growth because as we grow in the Lord, our capacity to love grows. As we grow in the Lord, the more of His love we experience and the more of His love we experience, the more of His love we have to hand out, to pass along. And so here in Acts 16, they show an incredible amount of love. They do not seek their own comfort. They seek the safety of the jailer. And when they show this jailer love, 
What does it say? The jailer calls for a light and springs in. Doesn't walk in, he springs in and says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? Bill Hull talks about in his book on discipleship, he says that there's a difference between boys and girls when they find a turtle in the woods. When a boy finds a turtle in the woods, he, he wants to get the turtle to come out, so he pokes it with the stick, right? He just keeps poking the turtle with the stick until he'll stick his head out. But the turtle's not going to stick his head out as long as somebody's poking with the stick. But if a little girl finds a turtle in the woods, she'll pick it up and hold it in her lap until he pokes his head out to see if it's safe. And when Paul and Silas call out and say, don't do yourself any harm, they accomplished what they could have not accomplished with plenty of sermons. They could not have prodded and provoked this man to ask this question, but by showing him this love, he opens up. By showing him that they care more about his safety than their comfort, he springs in and asks, what must I do to be saved? He opens up. He comes to realize that they care for them. And when people come to believe that we're there for them, that we're not waiting for them to open up so we can poke them with a stick, they'll open up. When the jailer saw Paul and Silas were looking out for him, he immediately opens up to them and asks them about the gospel. You know what, you and I, we've been freed like Paul and Silas. Jesus came, died on a cross, rose from the dead, and when he did, there was this powerful, miraculous disaster that shook the chains of death, hell, sin, and the grave off of our arms. We are free in his grace. But we've been freed so that we can show others love. Like Paul and Silas showed this jailer, in our freedom, we need to look out for others. We don't need to simply just run for comfort. We need to run to Jesus with others, but we need to try to get anyone we come across to come along with us. And that's what Paul and Silas do. They don't run out of this jail. They bring this jailer along with them. What are we doing here? We are building the church. Our friends and neighbors will join. And that means that sometimes we are going to be uncomfortable or inconvenienced for their sake. That means our church will often be a place where it is okay to not be okay. In the book that I mentioned a couple weeks ago on my, my first message here in the series, Option B, written by Sheryl Sandberg, she writes about the loss of her husband. He's a healthy man in his early 40s, died of a heart attack while running on a treadmill on vacation. And in the book, she talks about the fact that she not only lost her husband, but she lost large swaths of her friends, large groups of her friends, because when she came back after the funeral, they didn't know what to say to her, so they didn't say anything at all. She said people at her work felt awkward, so they would avoid her. They wouldn't ask her to serve on teams that she was helping manage because they 
didn't want her to feel like she had to. When she would open up and talk about this with some of them, some of them would say, I was just afraid that I was going to remind you of your husband and his death. She says in the book, like I had forgotten that my husband died. And unfortunately, many times when people are going through some catastrophe, some tragedy, we don't know what to say, so we don't say anything. And while it's better to to say nothing than to say the wrong thing, our friends need us to say something, to be there for them. And friends, if there is any place in the world where it should be okay to not be okay, it's here. That means that there are going to be times that it's uncomfortable. Times that when we ask someone how they're doing and they really tell us how they're doing. But that's okay. Because we're willing to be inconvenienced or uncomfortable for their benefit because we love them. No, I so desperately want you to get into a group because I want you to be surrounded by people that you're close enough to that you feel comfortable sharing with them what you're struggling with, what you're going through. I want you to be encircled by a group of people who are following Jesus too so that you can, you can open up to them, share with them the thing that you are facing, the thing that is you have experienced, and not suffer in silence. What did Paul say in verse 28? Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Don't make any rash decisions. We are here for you. We're here. And friend, if you're here today and you're hurting, I want you to hear, we are here. We are here. Don't make any rash decisions. We are here. Don't suffer in silence. We are here. Don't pretend that you're okay when you're not okay. We are here. That's the reason that we're here. Paul and Silas end up in the innermost part of the jail, broken, beaten, whipped. But God redeemed even that for the benefit of this jailer to come to the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And time and time again, we've had opportunity to watch God bring redemption out of the worst of circumstances when we are our our most broken. He uses what others meant for evil for His good purposes. What this awful world meant for our harm to bring about good. And when Paul and Silas were just absolutely whipped and beaten, God brought about good because they said, We're here. Do thyself no harm. We are here. Right now, we are promoting as, as much as we possibly can this special service that we have next week. We're going to have two services at 9.30 and 11. My friend Jim McComas is coming. He's going to talk about his son who passed away in a heroin overdose. So the past 10 days, anybody that will listen to me, anyone that sees anything that I put out online, that's what they've seen from me. And you would not believe the conversations that I've had over the last 10 days. Because people are responding to us just saying, we're here. And I have talked to so many parents who have lost their children to addiction. 
people that I've known but I didn't know. Our church has got to be a place people know we are here. Because we've been walking together with Christ, because we've experienced His peace in the midst of our own adversities, because we've experienced His love poured into us and it makes us selfless and willing to be inconvenienced and uncomfortable for the benefit of others, we will say that we are here. The jailer springs in. He springs in, he says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What, what, what has to happen? And Paul and Silas give him the simple gospel. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. And instead of having to break out of prison, the jailer takes Paul and Silas home with him. And they tell his family the message of the gospel. And they baptize this jailer and his family. Like, we baptized Jimmy today. And the jailer washes their stripes. How does that happen? It happens because they're running hard after Jesus. 